So we've got a treat this afternoon, and uh, Chad's been a friend for many, many years. How many years, Chad? Over 10. All right. And we, we kind of were instrumental in encouraging, encouraging him and Jay to go into ministry and to plant, and although we did also outline all the hazards of being a, a church planter, because <laughs> that stage would have been going about five years. And, uh, but they just an amazing couple and they built an amazing church. And, you know, when I, when I thought of what they've built here with the population, the kids want to know how many people lived in Victor Harbor. And I was like, oh, I thought it maybe 10,000. It's, anyway, it's over 14,000 as you come in. It's the sign. And I think of what an amazing work God's done here in this town. It's a country town. You know, it's not a city. We have a few hundred more people, but we live in a city where there's six million people, you know. And so I just think it's, it's wonderful that Chad, the father of this conference and this house, gets to finish off this conference. And why don't we honor him as he comes and ministers to us? Never mind. We, um, this has been great. I was just thinking um, about the great gift mix that we've had this weekend. And, and uh, we tend to uh, have a tendency towards formulas in the church. And I think that's un- unhelpful in many ways. But in Acts 13... Uh, you know, that, that, that church in Antioch that became an apostolic base and thrust out Paul and Barnabas and, and others, uh, there was a gift mix in that church that was dynamic that helped to launch that of, of prophets and teachers. And, and um, I just think, you know, we shouldn't have a formula that says prophet plus teacher equals apostolic base, but, um, but we can certainly just appreciate the gifting, the mixed gifting this weekend. I think it's been great. You know, partnership is really important to us. Um, on a, as a church, as, from an institutional perspective, we're actually an independent church. We don't, like, much like Finnan is, we, we don't have an institutional, denominational, constitutional connection uh, with an organisation. But, uh, but we are certainly not independent in the way that we go about life and in the way that we go about ministry. And uh, that's the great thing. And uh, to make a partnership work, you need to be the same. Because two can't walk together unless they are agreed. It's no point having Josh come in and then inviting someone else who doesn't believe in the supernatural. Like, I mean, you just, you know, you have to be the same in order for it to work. But for a partnership to be worthwhile, you need to be different. In order to work, you need to be the same. But you have to be different for that partnership to be worthwhile. Because if the only people that Chad invited to come in to preach here, if if everyone was all like me, if they were all same-same, cookie-cut like Chad, then no one benefits from that. Why have another one of me? (laughs) Why? We don't need another one of me, you know? So, yeah. So in order for it to work, we have to be same. But in order for a partnership to be worthwhile, we have to be different. And so what I do in the next however long is going to be different. And I'm really... Excited about that. That's good. We all minister different, and so that's a beautiful thing. So it's going to work very well. What I want to do is um, ask you to turn to Acts 17, and um, I'm going to share three things with you by way of introduction, and then out of those three things, I'm going to highlight one point and share four aspects of that. I'm going to share three points. And then out of that, choose one and share four aspects of that truth. And I do that because I am into numbers and four plus three equals seven. I just think that's a good number to, uh, to finish on. Okay, it's a number of completion. How many of you, how many of you like, like to know that when Adam was created, 
Um, if you, as we understand the story, he was created uh, on the sixth day in the afternoon. Because animals in the morning, God created animals, and then Adam, which means that he was created Friday afternoon. Adam was created in happy hour. <laughs> I think it's all right, okay? So that's the sixth day. And then, as according to the Genesis cycle, there was evening and then morning the first day. Okay, so the day actually starts at night. So Adam is birthed in the afternoon, and his first experience is the seventh day, is Friday night. So he is born into God's rest. So God worked for six days and then rested, but Adam's first experience was day seven. His first full day was rest. So he was created into rest, and it was out of that relationship of rest that God then the next day put him into a garden and gave him a job to do. So I like the number seven for a number of reasons, and that is one of them. And while we're talking about numbers, we're in Acts chapter 17. So let's have a read. This is Paul. Okay, this is great. So Paul is traveling while he's ministering while he's traveling, and traveling while he's ministering. And uh, he gets to a place called Athens. And Athens is the hub of all Greek philosophy, thought, culture, ideas. Everything that's happening is happening in Athens. You want to know what's going on? You go to Athens. And that's where he's rocking up. And uh, he sees what's happening in the city and he speaks to them. I think I'm going to read from verse 16 in Acts 17, verse 16. He says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. There was a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers who began to dispute with him. And some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? No preacher wants to hear that. (laughs) 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 What the? (laughs) Anyway, others remarked, (laughs) others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news or the gospel about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and they brought him to a meeting of the Arepagus where they said to him, hang on, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? May we know what this new teaching is? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we want to know what they mean. It's a really interesting question. They say, Paul, we're in Athens. We hear all the latest and greatest ideas that come through town, but what you're bringing to us is new. It's the very same question they ask of Jesus when he preaches in Capernaum, and he's preaching in the synagogue, and he sees a man with a shriveled hand, and he said, reach it out, and the man with a shriveled hand gets healed, and they're like, whoa, flip. This guy preaches with authority, and they ask exactly the same question. They say, what is this new teaching? What is this new teaching. Now in the New Testament Greek, there are actually two main words that are translated, translated, uh, the Victorians, translate, translated uh, as the word new. And the first is the word neos. And neos in the Greek simply means new in terms of time. This is the newest This is the latest. This is the most recent. Sometimes when it's talking about a child, 
it's translated in the scripture as the youngest. These are my children, and this is my newest child. This is my neos child. And then there's another word in the Greek translated new, which has quite a different meaning. Not the word neos. The second word is the word kainos. And kainos doesn't mean new in time. It has quite a different meaning. It means new in type. Not new in time, but new in kind. This is a whole different type of thing. This is a new thing. It is a totally new thing. And so it's a bit like uh, Carrie Ann. My friend, where's Marty and Carrie? Sitting at the back somewhere. A bit like Carrie Ann. And she's sitting at home. And uh, she's sitting at the dining room table. And she's sending a text message on her trusty old Nokia 3210. How many of you remember the Nokia 3210? All right, come on. Talking about mobile phones being restored. Don't pray for one of these, right? But you've got, come on. So these are like 13 or 14 years old. I actually used to sell mobile phones when I left university, and these were one of the biggest sellers when they were out. No antenna, it vibrates, it's got snake, it's awesome, okay? Uh, for its day, it was awesome. And it's uh, 2012, and Carrie Ann is still using a Nokia 3210. So she's sitting at a table, she's sending a text, and she slides it across the table, and she looks at it and she says, you know what, it's about time I got myself a new phone. And Jade and Erin, her two daughters are there, and their ears prick up. They think, oh, mum's birthday's coming up. And they each think to one another separately, I'm going to get mum a new phone. And so it's her birthday the next Tuesday and uh, mum comes out of the bedroom and Erin's there with a box all wrapped up. And she says, mum, I heard you wanted a new phone and I got you a new phone. She's really excited. I got you a new phone. And mum's like, awesome. Okay, I do want a new phone. She opens the box and there in the box is a brand new Nokia 3210. A new one. Mum, I heard you wanted a new phone. So I got you a new phone. That is the Greek word, neos. It's the same as the old one. Now Carrie Ann has two phones. She's got her old Nokia 3210 and she's got her Neos 3210. They're exactly the same. It's just the Neos one has a few less, less scratches. Okay? The buttons work a bit better. The screen's a bit clearer and uh, she, she hasn't dropped it yet. Okay? So she's got two. She's got her old one and she's got her Neos one, her new one. And then that was Erin. And then later on in the day, Jade wakes up and, she, you know, she wakes up at 12 o'clock in the afternoon, right? So she wakes up. She says, oh, Mum, it's your birthday. I heard you wanted a new phone. I got you a new phone. And, uh, okay, great. She opens the box and there in the box is a brand new iPhone 5. Okay. It's a brand new iPhone 5. Now, all right. Now, how many of you know that there is a total difference? Between the Nokia 3210 and the iPhone 5. This is a whole new type of new. I mean, come on. This one's got a whole new operating system. This one operates on a totally different platform, picks up totally different uh, mobile frequencies. This one's like, I think, one GSM or whatever. This one's like 3G or 4G or whatever it is now. It's got color screen. It's got touch screen. Mum, you can do your banking on this. You can tweet. You can Skype to someone on the other side of the world for free and see their face like the Jetsons. I mean, come on. Uh, this is unreal. You can do all your banking. You can gamble online. No, you probably don't want to. You can do, you can do anything. You can, Bethel podcast, Jubilee podcast. Okay. Bayside podcast number three. You can, <laughs> okay. You can do all that on this. It's a new phone. It's a totally different type of new. Now, this is the Greek word, kainos. 
Mum now has her old phone and she has her Kynos mobile phone. Still a phone, but this is a Kynos. It's a totally different concept, totally different type of new. And when Paul, point is this, when people listen to what, and when they listen to what Jesus is teaching, that's the word they use. They say, whoa, this is Kynos. This is, I mean, can you imagine 14 years ago trying to explain to someone what an iPhone 5 would do? I mean, that would just flip you out. That is just totally off the grid. And that's what's happening. They're like, this is, this is unbelievable. I mean, we've had phones before, but not like this. We've had teaching before, but not like this. This is Kynos. This is totally new. It's also the same word that Jesus uses when he talks about the Old Testament scribes. And he says to the Old Testament scribes, he says, listen, when an Old Testament scribe is instructed in the kingdom of God, he now has a responsibility to bring out of his treasury old as well as kainos, as well as new. There was something about the kingdom of God teaching that's totally new. Those scribes knew all the scriptures, most of them off by heart. But Jesus said once they're instructed in the kingdom, there's a whole bunch of new stuff. What is it about the gospel? Because when Paul was preaching the gospel in Acts 17, they said, what is, it? what is it about the gospel? What is it about the onset of the Christian era or the apostolic age in the age of Jesus and Paul and the early church? What is it that was so new that had never been seen before? If you read the Amplified version of Acts 17, it brings this out. The question they say in, in, in Amplified, it says, what is this new unprecedented teaching? What is this new unheard of teaching? And I'd like to propose to you it covers three main things. And this is not highly, well, it is very prophetic, but I found this out by doing a Greek word search. (laughs) Come on. The first time Paul uses the word kainos in his teaching is when he's writing to the Corinthians and he's quoting Jesus. Jesus is having a meal with his mates, lamb roast, Yeah, having the Passover. And as they're sharing a glass of wine, he says, drink this, for this is the blood of a new covenant. You guys know what covenants are. You've had them before. But this, I'm introducing to you a kainos covenant, never before seen, unprecedented. It's not like the old covenant that's been rebadged. It's not like the 3210 that you're so used to and we've just put a new cover on it. No, no, no. This is a whole new deal. A whole new covenant. And the new, the main aspect of new covenant teaching, and Josh brought out some of it so well already this week, weekend, is that in the new covenant we have total uninhibited access to heaven. Approval before God. It's about the agape of God access to heaven about the approval of god in the new covenant it's the word kainos it's when they translate hebrews sorry in hebrews 8 when they translate uh jeremiah 31 it says at that time i'll introduce a kainos covenant and it won't be like the one i led them through egypt with when i took them by the hand because they were unfaithful no no no. i'm going to have a whole new kainos never before seen covenant Part of new teaching, the wonder of the gospel on the cross because of that covenant blood 
Because the new covenant started only when blood was shed. Yeah? Okay, too much. (laughs) The wonder of the gospel, the good news of complete forgiveness, complete righteousness, right standing before a holy God. That is awesome. Sinners completely forgiven. The Lamb of God that doesn't just alleviate God's sin, uh, your sin from God for a while. It doesn't just alleviate God's wrath until the next sacrifice. No, John the Baptizer said, the Lamb of God takes away your sin. John the prophet said the same thing. He takes away our sin. That is an awesome covenant, far superior, far greater. It is a kainos covenant. And that understanding means so much to me that that's what I ended up writing a book on three years ago, that some of the major covenants God has made with mankind throughout history, the new covenant under Abraham, start back here, under Abraham, you were blessed by God and had his approval only if you were of Abrahamic descent. Your pedigree qualified you. So God would bless his people despite their behavior through the desert. He would bless them, bless them, bless them because they had the right pedigree. When they came to Mount Sinai, another covenant was formed where their pedigree wasn't enough to receive God's blessing. They now needed the right pedigree and the right performance. And it's only when they performed to a set standard that God's blessing would be theirs. If they underperformed, his curse would be theirs. Jesus comes along, shows us a cup and said, I've got a whole new kinos deal. Not the old that's been rehashed. No, 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 a whole new deal where your pedigree and your performance mean nothing, your standing before God is based purely on your position in Christ. Come on. It's a beautiful thing. So that's the first thing, new covenant. How many of you have come into a greater understanding in these last few years of the new covenant, the wonder of the new covenant? That's beautiful. There's a second time when Paul uses the next occasion he uses the word kainos in his teaching what is this new teaching what's so new is again in Corinthians when he writes them and he says listen if any man be in Christ so if any man has come to receive the new covenant he becomes a a new creation a kainos creature a kainos creature not the old Nokia that's been rebadged. No, no, no. You become a whole new creature. That is good news. New, create, new creation teaching tells me that the butterfly, that the caterpillar has become a butterfly. How many of you know a butterfly is a whole new creature? Do you know that the butterfly actually has a totally a different DNA to the caterpillar? You know when it goes into a chrysalis, its DNA changes. The butterfly is not a caterpillar that's just had a couple of wings stuck on it. (laughs) And it comes out like Priscilla, right? (laughs) And thinking it's a caterpillar in drag. It's like just trying to, trying to fool everyone that it's something it's not. Oh, we all know, you know, we can see the Adam's apple, dude. Like, we know, we know you're not a butterfly. You're really a caterpillar. No, 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 no. No, 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 it's not rebadged, it's not rehatched, it comes out a kinos creature. When a butterfly goes into the chrysalis, well, sorry, when a, a caterpillar goes into the chrysalis, it has six pairs of legs. When it comes out, it has three pairs of legs. 
When it goes into a chrysalis, a caterpillar has 13 segments to his body. Within that chrysalis, some of those segments dissolve and it comes out with only 10 segments. It goes in with six pairs of eyes. It comes out a new creature with only three pairs of eyes. It goes in with no sexual reproductive organs. When it comes out of the chrysalis, all the pipe and plumbing is there. It's a, it's a new creature. It's not a re... Like, whatever. When it goes in... How many of you used to read Hungry Little Caterpillar to your kids? Yeah, okay. So when a caterpillar has chewing jaws, okay, because it eats, it's chewy all the time. In the chrysalis, that jaw dissolves, <laughs> turns into a liquid, and it reforms into a sucking jaw with a slurpy thingamajiggy. So it can... It's a whole new mouth. It's not a neos. Oh, this is my new mouth. No, no, no. It's a kinos mouth. It's totally different. The whole nervous system changes. The muscles changes. It doesn't just have wings, but it's now it's got muscles it never had before, so it can fly. It is a totally kinos creature. Its silk glands are gone, and it has become a whole new creature. Friends, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. That's what he becomes. And that, and that is really important. We understand through the new covenant, the agape of God, the acceptance of God, yeah, approval of God, ability to access his presence. New creation teaching tells me that I'm an ambassador on the earth. I'm a whole new creature. I'm a different man. And I have ambassadorial authority as a foreign foreigner in this place because I'm a new creature that this land's never seen before. The world's never seen anyone like us, which is why Jesus said all the old prophets, they were awesome. I mean, Elijah, he the man, Moses was great. John the Baptist, he's pretty good, but they're nothing compared to the least in the kingdom because none of them were new creatures. And you are. You're a whole new creature. When I understand new covenant teaching, I understand that I have approval and access to my Father's presence and I can access the realms of the presence and provision of God are mine because I'm in Christ. So I can go to my dad's fridge when I'm hungry. I can open it up and take what I want because it belongs to my dad and I'm his kid. And he always loves me. And I don't have to ask him, have I been good enough this week to deserve to eat from your fridge? I just go because it's my dad's fridge. When I have a new covenant understanding, that's what I understand. When I have a new creation understanding, I actually understand that I'm the fridge. I am a walking, talking resource of God's goodness. I, I don't just have access to God's fridge. I become God's fridge on the earth. The kingdom of heaven is not just something I access. The kingdom of heaven is within me. I'm walking and talking heaven on earth because I'm a new creation. And so I, new, my new covenant understanding says, yes, when I'm in need, I can go to God. My new creation understanding says, when I see someone in need, hey, I've got the goods. I've got it in me. Because not only am I in Christ, new covenant, but Christ is in me, new creation. And I'm one in spirit with him. That is very good news. And so in the new new covenant, the sinner is completely forgiven. But when we understand new creation, we understand, no, no, listen, I'm not just a sinner that's been forgiven. I've undergone a whole new identity change and I'm now a saint. And that is really, really important. <laughs> really, truly. Because if we just, if, if our understanding of the gospel teaching or kingdom teaching finishes with new covenant, 
understanding, which is awesome. But if it finishes there, I can be sort of tricked into believing that I'm a filthy, disgusting sinner who's just hiding away in Jesus, hoping God doesn't know I'm tricking him. I'm not really holy. I'm just in Jesus. Thank God I'm in Jesus. Because if he really saw who, that I'm disgusting, he would never let me in. No, 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 no. Yes, I'm positioned in Christ, but when I understand I'm a new creation, my holiness is just is not just legal. I understand that my holiness is literal. I, re- I really am holy. I really am the righteousness of Christ. That's who I am. I am a new creation. And you have got what it takes. You've got what it takes. What is this new teaching? Number one, Paul uses the word kainos. Talks about a new covenant. Number two, he uses the word kainos when he talks about a new creation. Jesus, of course, said, uh, no one can see the kingdom of heaven unless they are born again. There's a third instance Paul uses the word kainos. And it's in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. New covenant, new creation. In Ephesians chapter 2, he talks about a new community. He says that because of the work of Christ on the cross, the dividing wall of hostility has been broken down. And he's not primarily there talking about the dividing wall of hostility between God and man. Obviously, that's true. But specifically, he's talking about the dividing wall of hostility between different groups of people. And he says in his body, he has created one new humanity out of the two. One kainos community. The church of Jesus. A whole new community. How many of you just love what Finn was sharing yesterday? And we, we workshop hearing God's voice and all that sort of stuff. And just giving us that vision for a church. A whole new community. This is a community that has never been seen before. It's not the old Israel rehashed. The new Jerusalem in Revelation is not the old Jerusalem with a new cover, with less scratches. No, no, no. It's a Kainos Jerusalem. It's a whole new deal. So Paul there uses the word Kainos when he talks about the church, a whole new community, and that community operates under a new command. A Kainos command I give to you. As I have loved you, so you love one another. And that's why, as you keep reading through Ephesians, that's in chapter 2. In chapter 3, Paul talks about mysteries that have been kept hidden for long ages past, but have now been revealed. These things, I was just talking to Josh earlier, these, these things are not new truths. They're just newly revealed truths. It's a new teaching, sounds a bit heretical. Well, it's not new truth, because truth is eternal. And so Paul says in Ephesians 3, these are mysteries that God has kept hidden for long ages past, but have now been revealed by God's holy apostles and prophets. And I'd like to suggest to you that wherever you have authentic, apostolic, and prophetic ministry, these themes will be coming through in their teaching. They will revel in the wonder of the gospel, the wonder of the new covenant. They'll be preaching freedom and liberty, the kainos wine that comes as a result, and there's other things involved. There's all that sort of stuff for that, the new covenant. They will be instructing people and equipping people to be ambassadors on the earth, not just absorbed with my relationship with God. No, no, no. I'm commissioned as a new creation to have authority on the earth, and I'm getting, I'm a new creation in this planet. And they will also be advocates and lovers and passionate 
about a community called the church. When I get to choose who, which ministries come here, one of the things I want to know about them is that they love the local church. Because there can be very powerful ministries that on this aspect of kingdom teaching, that there is a new community on the earth. They can be a little antagonistic, a little bit maybe unhelpful. I want to have people that love local church. You know the amazing thing about the church? Jesus mentioned the word church twice. Ecclesia, called out, called together people. The first is in Matthew 16. We all know this. Where he said, on the revelation of who I am, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. What we know about the church is that it is a forward-moving, enemy-defeating entity on the earth that transcends time and space and geography and everything else. Then there's a second time Jesus mentions the word church, two chapters later. And the context there is in conflict, relational difficulty, people hurting one another and trying to make it right. The church is a new community. It's not the perfect community, but both the church universal and the church local. You know, you want to join the new community, the church? It's a church that's forward-moving and going to destroy the works of the enemy. But it's also a place where, yeah, you're going to be vulnerable to to being hurt by people. There are two things Jesus lets us know. The new community. And so as you read through Paul's letters, the book of Titus, for example, in chapter 3, he talks about the new covenant. In chapter 2, he talks about what our life looks like as new creations. In chapter 1, he talks about releasing elders leaders in the life of the church because he's talking about a community new covenant new creation and new community what is this new teaching kingdom teaching i'd like to suggest to you that it covers at least those three things and while i would never call myself a prophet if i'm hearing other prophetic voices properly and i'm listening to what they're teaching i've got a feeling that these themes just in my view just seem to be coming out again and again I want to look right now, as I close, at this aspect of new creation. I want to look at four aspects of the new creation, about who you are, who you are as a new creation, and how that may work in your life. And then I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to do something. Josh read last night a passage of Scripture from Ezekiel about heavenly creatures. Do you remember that? They, had, they were creatures that had the form of a man and they had four aspects to their faces. One was the face of a lion, the face of an ox, the face of an eagle, and the face of a man. You remember that? One creature, four faces. John is on the Isle of Patmos and when he has his vision, he sees something different. He sees four creatures, four individual creatures, and one had the face was a lion, one was an ox, one was an eagle, one was a man. Theologians for ages have said that those are the four facets of Jesus that are revealed in the four Gospels. You read the Gospel of Matthew, the primary emphasis of Matthew is the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. It's Jesus the Lion. You read the book of Mark, it's uh, Jesus uh, the Son of Man or the Ox. No, Jesus the Ox, Jesus the Servant. Uh, in uh, the book of Luke, it's Jesus the man. In the Gospel of John, it's the Gospel that doesn't begin with a nativity. It's the Gospel where the eternal Word became flesh. It is Jesus the eagle. And uh, I'd like to just share something about you. I'd like to suggest to you that part of our new creation nature 
is that God has given us those four aspects to our being. You don't mind me calling you animals, do you? (laughs) The Lord is my shepherd, which means you're a sheep. All right, get used to it, right? We're animals. (laughs) Now, this is actually really key. In the start of this year, I was hoping to preach to our church about the four foundational relationships that we all have in the book of Genesis. When God created man, the first relationship Adam has is with God. The next relationship Adam has is with a garden. Yeah? God looks at that and says, it's not good for man to be alone. There's something else I want. Ah, I'll make him a girl. So God's got, Adam's got a relationship with God, relationship with a garden, relationship with a girl. But then in chapter 3 of Genesis, we see another relationship come about. And it's a relationship with a serpent, a relationship with an enemy. Adam has a relationship with his father, a relationship with a field, a relationship with a fellow man, and a relationship with a foe. And I'm lying in bed thinking about preaching this one morning. I'm just waking up, and it occurs to me that those four fundamental relationships that every one of us have are the four faces of those beasts. We have a relationship with God. And so God gives us the face of an eagle that we would experience heavenly realities. We have a relationship with a garden. And so God gives us the face of an ox that we can serve and work and toil. We have a relationship with other people. So God gives us the face of a man. And we have a relationship with an enemy. And our role is to roar at him like a lion. Come on. I'm going to just look at a few things from there. And then we're done. Number one, the face of an eagle. You know that eagles, we were soaring the other night. Hey, you were just singing, soaring, soaring. You know, some of you have, in your church, you have a soaking service. Okay, presence. We have a soaring service. That's what we call ours. It's like, it's our sore night. All right? It's a, you come in sore. No, no, no. You just, and hopefully you don't leave us sore. No, it's our soaring night. You know, eagles are created. They can soar up to four kilometers high effortlessly. They are as at home on the ground as they are in the sky. It's just effortless to be. That's where they're created to be. I've got chickens at home. And chickens aren't created to do that. But you are. You were created to soar. Before anything else, you are a spiritual, transcendent being who is created to experience heavenly realities. Come on. And so Jesus talks to Nicodemus in the gospel of the eagle, John, and he says, listen, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came down from heaven, who is in heaven. NIV takes that last bit out because it's just too hard to understand, John 3.13. But you read the King James and it says, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, who is in heaven. Jesus is saying, I came from there, I have gone there, and I am there. No one has ever gone except the one who came, and I am there. How many of you are dual citizens? How many of you have two passports? Okay, so Ian, where's your passports? Australia and England. Okay, so you're you're a dual citizen. Uh, Which country do you live in? Australia, do you live in England? Ian is a dual citizen, but he's not a dual resident. He doesn't live in Australia and 
England at the same time. He has the right to. The new covenant teaches me that I have the right to access heaven and the right to live on the earth. We're dual citizens, but Ian can't be a dual resident. He can't reside in Australia and reside in England because he's just a mere man. Ha, 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 ha. Well, although what we've heard the last few days may be. But point's this. As a heavenly creature, you are designed, you not only are a dual citizen, you're also a dual resident. You live on the earth and you live in heaven at the same time. You are an eagle. You're an eagle and my encouragement to you is to soar. Dual citizens and dual residents. And how many of you think we've been doing that these last couple of days? Second face is the face of an ox. We are called not only to soar, but we are also called and designed to serve. Remember I mentioned before that we are sheep, okay, and Jesus is the shepherd. You know, the Bible also calls pastors shepherds. So Todd is a shepherd, and, the, uh, and, and Blackaby are shepherds in that church of Philadelphia. They are shepherds. It's a human who cares for an animal. <laughs> <laughs> That's the idea. But, but, do you know, <laughs> but do you know that the New Testament also describes a human-animal relationship being a pastor and his congregation? But the imagery is reversed. Where the congregation is the human and the pastor is the animal. In Timothy, when Paul talks about elders who are worthy of honour, And he says, because an ox needs to eat. And he's talking about pastors. We're the people of the humans and their job is to make sure they look after their animal. The the point is this. The ox is a picture of service, a picture of ministry. And it's an amazing thing. God has called us to serve. You know that amazing statement? We We hear it read often and this only just occurred to me a couple of years ago, and I'm not prepared for this very well, but um, I can't use any of those things. You know, we, Jesus stands up and he says, listen, if you're tired, if you're weary, if you're exhausted, he says, come to me and I'll give you rest for your souls. Yeah? Come to me, you who are tired, I'll give you rest for your souls. And he says this, he says, learn from me and take my yoke upon you. Now, because my yoke is easy and light. I think someone just quoted that the last couple of days. Now, I always picture that as Jesus saying, now, now come to me and I'll put my yoke on you. And it's really easy. <laughs> right? <laughs> Wear this. A couple of years ago, it occurred to me, you know what a yoke is? A yoke joins two animals together. So Jesus is standing here. And he's saying, now come to me. Stand alongside me. Come to me and bring my yoke and put it on you. It's a call, not only to walk together, but to work together. That's amazing. And the really interesting thing about that is in that context, Jesus says, if you do this, you'll find rest for your soul. I think, well, Jesus could have said, if you're tired and you're weary, and if you want to find rest, come to me. And sit on the hammock with me. (laughs) 
and, and I'd say, yeah, amen, that's awesome. That's no problem. If he said, come to me and sit on the lazy boy with me and you'll find rest. But he says, come to me and serve with me. You know, there are some people that are really exhausted. And they've had lots of eagle opportunities, lots of eagle encounters. But maybe the answer to their breakthrough of exhaustion, finding rest, is actually to start serving. To start working with Jesus and giving their lives for the sake of others. Maybe that is the answer to their breakthrough. Because you're created to serve with him. You have the face of an ox and you're created to serve with him. Go for it. God, we have a relationship with God and he gives us the face of an eagle. We have a relationship with the garden, so God gives us the face of an ox. And God says, no, that's not good enough. I'm going to make a girl. I'm going to make a fellow man. And so God gives us the face of a man. And people interpret the face of a man differently and and you get out of it whatever you want to get out of it. I don't don't mind. But for me, that talks about our face-to-face relationships with people. In order to have a relationship with someone, In order to have intimacy, there needs to be vulnerability. To me, the face of a man speaks of vulnerability, of intimacy, of transparency, of honesty, of sociability. And just as my encouragement to you today is to soar and to serve, I also want to encourage you to be real. Be real. You know, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places, and sometimes he withdrew to lonely places to soar. You know, there's sometimes where he withdrew from the crowds just to be with his mates. <laughs> just to be with his mates. Just to be with his friends. A couple of years ago, a guy called Dr. Howard Hendricks did a survey of um, ministers in the United States who over a two-year period had all come out of the ministry because they'd had affairs. And he found 246 of them. He surveyed them. And just to find out what correlating factors there were. He said of the 246 men that had committed adultery in the ministry, he said that all of them, guaranteed, did not have a regular time with God. Worship, prayer, the word of God without fail. Second correlation is he found is that none of them had a good friend. Had a mate that they could just be honest with. He said that 80% of them, at least 80%, had an affair with someone that they first had an emotional connection with. It wasn't just a a physical one-night thing. It was an emotional thing that happened over time. And then he said, and 100% of them said this. They said, I never thought this could happen to me. You know, of all those four things, only one of them is an eagle issue. Experience. The other three are just human face issues. I wonder how many of them, if they just understood the realities of their human makeup and the importance of having that face-to-face relationship with people, that God has put people in our lives, friends, to just be real with, just to be honest with. There might be people here today and you're struggling with the pull of pornography. Or you're struggling with the pull of, of those things. And you know what? the answer might be an incredible God encounter. I think Izzy mentioned that the other night about eyes just being, just being watered in the glory and, and that whole desire. That, that, that can happen. That might have happened to you. It might have happened in that last service. 
That desire is totally taken away. That may be the answer to your breakthrough. (laughs) The answer to your breakthrough may be the face of an ox. That you're just not working hard enough during the day and so you're staying up all night, not sleeping. And like David, who was up at night not sleeping because he should have been out fighting battles, started looking at things he just shouldn't have been looking at. You work hard during the day so you sleep. Maybe the answer to your breakthrough is the face of a man. We just say, you know what? I just need to phone a friend and have a face-to-face conversation and just be honest and just be real and just say, this is who I am. Come on. Because David knew what it was to soar like an eagle. We have a relationship with the Father. God gives us the face of an eagle. Have a relationship with a field. He gives us the face of an ox. Have the relationship with a fellow man. God gives us the face of a man to be honest and intimate and vulnerable. And then we have a relationship with a foe. And God gives us the face of a lion. Friend, as a new creation, you have the face of a lion. And you have a taste for blood. You are designed to express aggression. You are designed to experience anger in the spirit. That's you are because you have an enemy and you are designed with the face of a lion. Jesus on his 48 day fast. And this is where you see the contrast between the first and last Adam in an amazing way. The enemy comes to Adam and says, eat. And Adam opens his mouth. And swallows. The enemy comes to Jesus in the desert and says, Eat. Jesus opens his mouth and speaks. Your tongue has two main purposes to swallow and to speak. And you can't do both at the same time. And you eat words. This is See Here Speak Conference. Or the other day it was See Here Sing, See Here Whatever. <laughs> when, during Finney's session it was See Here, Feel, Taste, Heat, Right? It was all those things. See Here Speak. We're learning about speaking. But just as you can speak words, you can also swallow them. Because man does not live on bread alone, but on every word. We eat the word of God. And so we've been, sometimes when you hear the, as you're hearing the voice of God, speak it out. Josh has been so good at that, about praising him. But the weapons of our warfare, this is one of the biggest weapons we've got. The answer to defeating the enemy is right under your nose. The answer to your breakthrough is right under your nose. And sometimes it is soaring in worship and sometimes it is roaring at an enemy. And Jesus was in the desert and he roared. When the enemy tried to feed him those lies, he opened his mouth and he roared. And my encouragement to you today, with the face of a lion, is to roar because your enemy does prowl around like a roaring lion but you know there is another animal that can defeat lions and it's a bigger lion (laughs) and you are the alpha lion as a new creation come on last year just after our conference i'll just finish with the story last year um we had a family in our church who were going through a, a tough time. We had a, a mum who was overseas 
and uh, a teenager at home and the grandpa had come to, to stay to look after her. And we got a call one night to say, Grandpa's just got drastically ill. They've rushed him up to hospital. And uh, we're waiting for auntie and uncle to drive all the way from, from Melbourne. They weren't going to get in until 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, as it happens. And so Jay went over and slept on the couch of our teenager, because that's what you do when you're a pastor. You, you serve, yeah? So they're sleeping on the couch. The, 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 the auntie and uncle come. 5 or 6 o'clock the next morning, we get up, because we're going out to the northern suburbs to uh, be part of a kids program in a church up there because we wanted to, to see how this church did a kids program. So we leave with our whole family, six or seven o'clock in the morning, whatever it was, drive two hours, spend the whole day in Adelaide, come back 12, 13 hours later at seven, eight o'clock at night. Within 15 minutes of being home, we get a call to say that grandpa is seriously ill and uh, he's probably going to have an operation that night. He's got a 20% chance of surviving. Without thinking about it, I pick up my keys, get back in the car, and start to drive another hour back to Adelaide to the hospital. Within a couple of minutes of being in the car, I'm thinking, what the heck am I doing? <laughs> and I start to worship. Face of an ox, serving. Turn to the face of an eagle. And for 45 minutes, I just soared in the car. Just soared, just soared, just worshipped him. Worshipped him, worshipped him. Get out of the car 45 minutes later, walk into the hospital there's grandpa with his having just filled out his will with granddaughter there in tears all day just watching grandpa about to die and i ignore granddaughter and i ignore the nurses and i go to the man on the bed and i say sir i'm here you know i'm a nice person but i'm not here to be nice right now just excuse me i'm actually quite angry <laughs> he says are you angry at me I'm like, no, 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 I'm not angry at you. I'm angry at this thing that's trying to get you and it doesn't belong there. That's all I said. For the next three minutes, I roared at his stomach or his internal organs. I just spoke to it. The face of the ox, the face of an eagle was now the face of a lion and I was really annoyed. And I spoke to the sickness, spoke to the, cursed it, spoke like, you know, all that, all that good stuff, right? I roared. A couple of minutes, minutes later, after I was done roaring, face of a man. Arm around a granddaughter. Arm around uncle and auntie. Relational, talking. It's an amazing thing. 80% chance of dying that night. Uh, they called the next day, say we, we didn't do the operation, but he's still on the standby list. And um, called the next day, say, hey, we're not doing the operation, but he's going to be here at least a week or so. And then he calls me the next day, says, I'm 100% well, come, pick me up. Um, <laughs> come home. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's all right. And Jesus, in the final hours, he was aiming for the cross. It is finished. He's aiming for the cross. And he knew what his destiny was because he'd spent time. He knew at the face of it. He knew what the Father's will was. He'd been praying. He knew what it was to soar. And then he carries that cross, the face of an ox. And he's whipped and he's bruised and he's battered. And the people that he is serving are the ones who are spitting on him. Welcome to ministry. (laughs) Face of an ox, set like flint, serving the Father's will. In the garden, before that, the face of a man, vulnerable. Friends, please come and pray for me. (laughs) He said, I'm actually, this is sorrow, is so overwhelming for me. Father, if it's possible, if there's any other way, please. Face of a man, 
face of an eagle, face of a man, face of an ox. And yet on the cross, we don't see a vulnerable man. We see the face of a lion who roared with victory. Because the cross was not Jesus' weakest moment. The cross was one of his greatest moments. And he, when he cried out in a loud voice, you know it says in the, he cried out in a loud voice? The word loud in the Greek is the word mega. M-E-G-A-S. He cried out in a mega voice. And it wasn't a voice of pain. It wasn't a voice of agony. It wasn't a voice of distress. It was a voice of victory over his enemy when he roared and he said, it is finished. It is finished. It is finished. And you are created in his image. You're a new creation. Created to be like God in glory. Do you guys want to come? I think so. I just want to pray for you. I'll get Izzy and maybe the the band to come. I want to pray for you. And I don't want to pray that you would become more. No, no, no. I don't want to pray that God would give you the face of a lion or give you the face of... No, no, no. You already have that. But I would like to pray that God's wisdom would come on you to know which is appropriate at which time. And so much like Finn did yesterday... I want us to just get ready to hear God's voice for a sec, bit of a bit of a one-minute workshop, and uh, we'll see how we go. So what I want to do, just close your eyes, and with that sort of grid of understanding, and sometimes grids are unhelpful because God doesn't want a formula, but just for the moment, eagle to soar, an ox to serve, the face of a man and the face of a lion. Can you think for yourself of a situation that you're facing, a situation in your life, that you are trusting for a breakthrough. And right now, I just pray that God would show you the right face for that breakthrough. Lord, would you just release revelation and just confirm with your kids right now which face it is for them to turn. Wisdom. Spirit of wisdom. Okay. Okay. Hands up, how how many of you just heard God and and you think you've got some clarity on on that situation? Yeah, great, brilliant, okay, cool. Awesome, that's really good. Okay, now think of someone else. A word of knowledge. Actually, a word of knowledge is knowing something that you shouldn't know unless God tells you. A word of wisdom is to be able to help them with wisdom, with something. So why don't you ask God, a person in your life, and you can help them with this understanding, give them wisdom. Highlight a situation. God, which face is the key for them? Which face of their face of Christ? Hands up, how many of you believe God just spoke to you and give you some wisdom for someone else? number of people awesome steward it well steward it well if you feel comfortable to stand